Take your Bibles and let's turn them to the book of Ruth once again this morning. You all had practice finding Ruth last week, so I won't give extra time to find it. But I will mention that the scriptures, Old Testament, New Testament, are filled with instances of God dealing with and using great men as we would see them, mighty men, powerful men, uh, using them for his purposes and for his glory, kings, uh, princes. Uh, We think of of David and Solomon, of Job, even uh, a wealthy man earlier in the scriptures. Think of even pagan uh, kings and princes, Nebuchadnezzar, God used, Cyrus, God used. So it's true that God uses great and powerful men. It's also true that he uses people of very little reputation, of no reputation. And that is rarely seen more pointedly than in the story of God reaching down in the midst of a time of Israel, the nation's rebellion, just a horrible time in regard to the nation, idolatry running rampant, And the story about a woman, not only of no reputation, but a woman who was out of a pagan land, a woman who was of a people who were enemies of God's people, a Moabite woman, a woman named Ruth, a woman who, if it were not for the way God used her, we would, of course, have no knowledge of. But as God has used her and the people around her, um, it's a wonderful story and a wonderful reminder of God's working. Last time we were together, we we began to look at this beautiful story of God's grace, of God's providence, of his mercy, of his faithfulness to his promises. And if you remember last time, just a bit of review, that the story takes place in the time of Judges, as I said, a very dark time in Israel's history where there were these, again, these cycles where God would save his people and bring someone to, to bring them out of the bondage that they were in, and they would say, great, God, thank you, and then they would go right back into their sin, right back into their idolatry until it got to the point that God, again, would send a nation to oppress them. And that cycle repeated itself. Well, it's during that time that the events in the book of Ruth take place. And as we think of the book of of Judges, and I'm sure you've read it, you see what a contrast the book of Ruth is. And it's almost hard to imagine that it takes place during the same time as what is recorded in the book of Judges. But it does. And it records a time, this book of Ruth does, when a, a famine caused a man from the tribe of Judah from the utterly insignificant little town at the time of Bethlehem. Um, A man named Elimelech caused him, this famine did, to flee the nation with his wife to a neighboring country, the country of Moab. Um, Him, Elimelech, Naomi, his wife, and their two sons fled to Moab. And while in Moab, the sons marry Moabite women, And over the course of time, both Elimelech and his two sons die, leaving Naomi and her two daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, uh, by themselves. And when Naomi then hears that the famine in Judah or in Jerusalem, or I'm sorry, in Israel is over, and she's about to return back there, she tells her two daughters-in-law to go back to their own homes, remember, to to remarry, to, to live out their lives. One of them, Orpah, does. She returns home, but Ruth refuses. And in a statement that focuses on the work that God had done in her heart, she says to Naomi, we have it in chapter 1, verse 16, she says, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go, and where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. May the Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts me from you. So 
Ruth returns with Naomi to Bethlehem at the beginning, uh, the end of chapter 1 tells us, at the beginning of the barley harvest. That took place in April or May. So that's the time that they return. Uh, the fact that there is a harvest is a good sign indicating that this, this uh, famine is indeed over. And that brings us to the second chapter of Ruth, which is going to be our text for this morning. So let's, uh, let's stand together. And I'll read this second chapter. Again, as a narrative, this moves very quickly so we can take uh, bigger chunks of this. And we'll look at this whole chapter this morning as we looked at the whole chapter 1 last time. So Ruth chapter 2, this is God's word to us this morning. Let us give heed as we hear it. Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth, the Moabite, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter. Do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants." And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain. And she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your wonderful word that you have given to us. We pray that you would bless this reading and the hearing, Lord, and now the preaching of your word. May it benefit us, Father, by the work of your Spirit. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
What we're going to see this morning is in this chapter, in this part of the story, how God provides for Ruth and Naomi through the kindness of this man, Boaz, who is, we see, a family relative. So we are in the middle part of this story. Remember, four chapters here in the book of Ruth, and we're we're in the story, and we are, as it were, floating down a stream headed towards a great climax of this story. So all of these things are, are continuing to come into place, these little tributaries coming into the, the stream of this story. And again, this book is just a beautifully woven, a beautifully written narrative about God, about the gracious working of God. And this book, remember, I think we mentioned this last week, that it serves as a, a link between the time of the judges and those who had gone before and the then yet to come time of the kings and one king in particular and a greater son of that one king in particular. And we're simply working our way through this narrative as it's presented here. The story of Ruth uh, can be thought of, it's divided nicely into these four chapters. It can be thought of as occurring in four acts that take place in four locations. Last week, we saw the first taking place for the most part in Moab, time-wise, but as we saw, it begins and ends in this little town of Bethlehem. So today what we're going to do in this second chapter is we're going to take basically three passes through the narrative here and bring some different things uh, to your attention. First, we'll look at the continuation of the plot, just keeping getting a summary of what's going on. Then we'll see the clarity of God's providence in this story, and finally we'll take a look at the character of the players. And there are three main players in this story, or four really. Uh, There is God, there is Naomi, there is Ruth, and there is Boaz. This story is really about Boaz. He is an important figure. He is a typical figure. And, and he is now introduced to us here in the beginning of this second chapter. Uh, verse 1, which is really a little bit of foreshadowing, giving a hint of what is to, to, be, to come and what is to be developed. We read that Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. So that's just put out there. We're going to come back. You're going to learn a lot more or some more about Boaz Uh, But he is mentioned here, um, importantly, as of the clan of Elimelech. So he is a relative of Naomi's husband who had died. And that will be important. He is a relative, uh, sometimes known as a kinsman. He is kin to Elimelech. And his name is Boaz. That name means quickness, by the way. In verses 2 through 7, then, Ruth and Naomi... Remember, they're, they're both widows. They are here in the land of Israel, and as widows, they have no real means of, of sustenance. They have no, no one to earn a living for them, and they, in this situation at this time, are reduced to the status, really, of des- the destitute. Verse 2 says, As a result of that, that Ruth, the Moabite, and you'll find it interesting, I hope, that as we go through this, that she is referred to so often, not just as Ruth, but the author just wants to keep reminding us who she is. She's Ruth, the Moabite. She's Ruth, the woman from a pagan nation, uh, an idolatrous nation, who has now come uh, to live in Israel. But... um, Ruth the Moabite, verse 2, said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So notice here that Ruth Ruth isn't going to work in the fields. She's not going to sign on as a day laborer and go and be hired in order to do work. She is going, the text tells us, to glean And here, when we hear of this gleaning, we meet with a a law that God had given to Israel, a special law that regards this practice of of gleaning. You know, when a 
field of corn or grain, grapes, barley, uh, olive trees. When any of that is harvested, whether it's today mechanically or as then by hand, there's always something left over. There's something left behind. Now today we've learned and with machinery we have greatly increased efficiency at how we harvest um, fields and harvest crops, but there's still part that is left over. And it was even more true when it was done by hand. There was always some of the crop that would either be missed or left over or dropped. Uh, the economic thing to do for the person who owned the field would be then to go back and get that stuff, make a second pass at the field and collect uh, those leftover parts of the harvest. Harvest. But there are others who also had an interest in that food, and that was the poor. The poor, the destitute, were in the habit of coming along after the reapers, and they would go through the fields, and they would pick up they would collect or glean what was left. Um, that's what gleaning was all about. And for many, it, that was all the food that they would have is what they could glean from the fields. We know throughout the Old Testament that God has a special eye for the poor, a special care that they be taken care of. And in his wisdom, in his condescending care for those, he gave to Israel a law in regard to how they harvested. Um, we read about it in several places. For example, in Leviticus 19, 9 and 10, God said this. He said, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to its edge. Neither shall you gather the gleanings after your harvest. And you shall not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard you shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourner. I am the Lord your God. So God said, you are to purposefully almost not to go right up to the edge. You are to not seek to, to drain and, and eke out every piece of this harvest that you have. You're to leave some. Uh, the, the idea here of, of not of not reaping right up to the edge means you're to purposefully leave some there. Uh, over in Deuteronomy, chapter 24, we get a little more about that in chat, verses 19 through 21. God said, when you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the works of your hands. When you beat your olive trees, you shall not go over them again. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, you shall not strip it afterward. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. So notice that not only are they not to go back over the field, they're not to reap all the way to the edges of the field. And if the harvest was of olive trees, which they would harvest by taking sticks and hit the, the branches and the ripe olives would fall, um, this law said that they could only do that once. They couldn't go back and do it again in order that there would be something for those poor who would come along then and gather their sustenance from what was left. So the rest was to be left for the poor to collect or to glean. That's what Ruth is going to go do. And she ends up, the text tells us in verse 3, in the field of a man named Boaz. Now we hear verse 1, and so we know who Boaz is. She doesn't. She just finds herself in the field of this man. Uh, she doesn't know, apparently he doesn't know her, uh, because he asked who she is in verses 5 through 7. Down in verse 8, and after verse 8, down through verse 17, or verse 13 at least, we have the first meeting of Boaz and Ruth, and we see the, the, the kindness, the grace, the protection, the provision, all that Boaz shows and provides her. He feeds her at lunch, uh, and in such a way that she has some left over. Verse 17, uh, then after lunch, it says that she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was an ephah of barley. So she works all day, and then afterwards it was done, she, she beats out or separates the, 
the good parts of the barley from the, the husks, and what she has collected when she measures it out is an entire ephah of grain. That's a pretty good day's work. An ephah of grain is over half a bushel. Uh, it would weigh anywhere from 30 to 50 pounds. And 1 Samuel 17, 17 says that an ephah of grain could feed 50 fighting men. So it's a, a good amount. In verses 18 through 23, then, when Ruth returns home, she gives both the grain that she had gleaned and she gives the, the leftover food that she had from lunch, gives that to uh, Naomi. And Naomi then asks her about her day. Where did you go? Where did you glean? And as Ruth relates the story, verse 22 tells us that Naomi speaks of how good it is that the man has been so kind and allowed Ruth to glean in his field. Ruth, remember, as we are being told over and over, is a foreigner. She is a Moabitess. And she would likely have not received such an overwhelming response elsewhere as she received in this field of this man named Boaz. And again, verse 23 then sums everything up and closes this act of this story with the statement that Ruth continued to glean there in the field the whole season and dwelt with Naomi. So that's the continuation of the plot. That brings us up to where we're at. Now all three of these main characters have been uh, introduced and the provision of God through Boaz has been demonstrated, or at least the corner of his provision uh, to, to her, because compared to what we will see, this is very little. Last time, remember, I mentioned that one of the predominant themes in the story of Ruth is the sovereignty and the providence of God. And we've already seen how that was demonstrated, and we'll talk about that more in just a moment. In fact, let's talk about it now. The clarity of God's providence here in this story, in this chapter. You know, that God has a plan for all of history is beyond dispute to anyone who reads honestly the scripture. It's also without dispute that God works out that plan. In our confession of faith, we talk about both God's decree and about his providence. His decree is his plan that he has that encompasses everything that happens. His providence is the way that God works out that decree. And we see both here. And we see it um, ultimately guiding everything that happens. Ephesians 1.11 speaks of God as the one who does that, as he who works all things after the counsel of his will. So God is working all of these things. We can't always tell how. Sometimes we try to be able to tell how, but we can't. Uh, but we know that he is doing it. Further, it is the teaching of Scripture that God works these things often through things that we don't expect, through individuals, through very minor things. We sing a song sometimes that says, God works in a mysterious way his wonders to perform. And the author of the book of Ruth is very keen on pointing out the fact that God is doing that here in this story. In this book, in this situation, God guides very unlikely circumstances, very unlikely people uh, to, to work out his larger plan. Now, as I mentioned, for us as readers, it's important for us to keep the little tidbit of knowledge that verse 1 gave us about who Boaz is in our mind. Again, let's read it. It says that Naomi, her mother-in-law, I'm sorry, wrong chapter, Chapter 2, now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. Uh, a couple more verses. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was, we're again reminded, of the clan of Elimelech. I like the King James there, uh, just for beauty of language. It says, and her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. But for us in the ESV, it says, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Literally, it says, her chance chanced upon the field of Boaz. In today's English, we might say, 
by a stroke of luck, by, by a serendipitous event or concatenation of events. But by saying that, what the author says here, her chance chanced upon, the author doesn't really mean that. He is using irony to draw the attention of the reader to the providence of God. To the Hebrew mind, as to the Christian mind, beloved, there is no such thing as chance. Chance is a nothing. It's a probability. It's, it's sort of the lack of a probability. It's totally random. And so chance cannot do anything. And we understand that nothing happens by chance. Sparrows do not fall to the ground even by chance, do they? But by the will of God, Matthew 10, 29 says. Proverbs 16, 33 tells us that even the result of a, of a die being thrown is not random, but is determined by God. The lot is cast into the lap, the writer says, but its every decision is from the Lord. And so here in saying her chance chanced upon the field of Boaz, what the author is really doing is virtually screaming out, look at the providence of God on display here. See God's hand at work here. Because certainly this is no chance thing. Clearly this is the hand of God moving, molding, manipulating circumstances and working out his, hand, his, his plan. And do you, know, do you see the importance of this? As we see this story and where it's going, we will. I mean, this statement here in verse 3 of it being, you know, her ending in the... Uh, the field of Boaz is really one of the most significant turning points of this book. Ruth happened into the field of a man that she did not know. She was out just to glean, we saw. And this man happened to be a godly, gracious man a man who happened to be a relative of Naomi. In fact, more than just a relative, we'll see in a bit. What's more, on this particular day, the owner of the field, this Boaz, just happened to come to the fields. It's likely that that was maybe a regular practice, but it certainly wasn't a regular practice of everyone. But he came, and he sees and he meets Ruth, who just happened to come to that field. So the providence of God is clearly on display here. God bringing this all together. And as we see the rest of this story, we'll see how important that becomes. But let's conclude this morning by looking at the character of these players. The primary purpose of the book of Ruth, or the primary purposes of the book of Ruth, are first to demonstrate the faithfulness of God as he works out these events in such a way that his promises of a redemptive line is continued and that the Christ can indeed come as the lion out of the tribe of Judah. Another purpose is to demonstrate the grace of God in including Gentiles into the people of God as Ruth, the Moabitess, is. Third, it is to demonstrate the overarching care of God to those who have entrusted themselves to him. And fourth, as we'll see in a moment, another purpose is to present us a picture of Christ in a particular person, in a particular action. But the book also demonstrates to us by the way of example the character of God's people the character that he works in them, and therefore the character of God himself. The three main characters in this book, again, Naomi, Ruth, and Boaz, are all good examples. You know, we, there are a lot of bad examples in the Bible, aren't there? Uh, sometimes the most important Peter, people, well, Peter is a good example of a bad example, isn't he? 
but we see that all the way through. But in this little group, this microcosm here, we have people who are all beautiful examples of those who keep covenant with God and live according to his law and they are reflections of, of the God that they serve. Naomi will come into play more next week, so we'll save her until then. So let's look at the other two, the character of Ruth. Let's look at that just briefly. And as we do that, let me just mention, this is not a, this is not a moralistic um, purpose. There's not a moralistic purpose here. The purpose of the book of Ruth is not you be like Ruth. There's a bigger purpose than that. But, all things considered, Ruth is a good example. She's a beautiful example of a godly person. And the character of Ruth is, is crucial in what this chapter intends to teach. First, we see Ruth's initiative to care for Naomi. We saw it beginning even when they were still in Moab, when Orpah ended up going home, but Ruth said that she was going to stay with Naomi. And we see it here. Look at verse 2 again. See, Naomi doesn't command for Ruth to go out to glean. Ruth says, she asks, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain. Let me contribute. Let me help. Ruth has committed herself to Naomi with amazing devotion, and she takes the initiative to work and to provide for the both of them. You know, if, if a husband would have been there, if a man would have been there, it would have been his responsibility, but there is none. And so Ruth takes the initiative to provide for them, and she goes out. We see Ruth's initiative. We also see Ruth's humility. She knows how to take this initiative without being presumptuous about it. In verse 7, the, the servants of Boaz report to Boaz how she had come in the morning and she approached them and she said, please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. She doesn't demand a handout. She doesn't presume the right even to glean. Now, according to the law, gleaning was the privilege of the poor and the stranger. And Ruth was both. And so she had a right to glean. She had a right to gather up these leftovers after the reapers are done. But she asks permission to do that. She makes me think of the, the woman that the Lord talks about, that Jesus talks about, when she says, Lord, even the dogs under the tables eat the crumbs from the table, eat the children's crumbs. And Jesus responded to her by extolling her faith. Ruth knows how to take initiative, but she's not pushy. She's not presumptuous. She's, she's meek. She's humble. How different than today where my rights are what's most important. I don't care what it does to anyone else. I will have my rights is the attitude of people today. Society owes me. Even in the church, we see it sometimes. With the, with the attitude of some people in the church, it's sometimes not what can I do to serve the church, but what can the church do to serve me? Very often that is um, the attitude that, that people have. How different that is from our Lord that we are to follow, who came, the scripture says, not to be served, but to serve. And the godly are like him. The godly say other others before me. The godly says, what can I do for you? The ungodly says, what can you do for me and what have you done for me lately? Another thing we see about Ruth is her diligence. The diligence in her work. You know, first of all, she's going to work. Gleaning is not a handout. Gleaning is not welfare. She had to work hard to do this, and she did. She's a diligent worker, and she seeks to provide for her and Naomi. Verse 7 goes on and says, So she came, this is Boaz's servant talking about when Ruth came. It says, So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. You know, the author put that in here, and put it in here for a reason, so that we might know the character of Ruth. She's humble, she's meek, 
She's diligent. We see also that not only did she come early, but she works throughout the rest of the day. So that's the character of Ruth. What about Boaz, this new character that we have? Again, the newest and arguably the most important character in the story of Ruth. I'll just mention two things about him that we learn really from verse 1. First is it says that he is a worthy man. Some translations translate that a little differently. It has to do with him having great capacity, great power, great efficiency. Uh, He's a man of means. The NIV says he is a man of standing. He has the ability to, to take care of things, and he does. And then the second thing that we learn is that he is of the family of Elimelech. And again, that will come into play more next week. But it's worth filing away that he is a relative, perhaps a close relative of Elimelech. And he is, like Elimelech, of the tribe of Judah. But we learn the most about him through the narrative here, about how, by how he acts. In verse 4, Boaz comes from the city out to his plot of land in the morning to his servants who are reaping the, the barley harvest And we see immediately here the God-centered heart of this man and his kindness, even to his servants. We read this morning about how servants are to not be harsh, or how masters are not to be harsh with their servants. Here's an example of it. He comes to his servants and he says, the Lord be with you, greets them that way. And they respond, the Lord bless you. Again, that's how the Lord would have us to be with those who are under us, whether it's our children, our congregation, our employees. Not only, as we read, are slaves to be submissive to their masters, but masters are to treat your slaves justly and fairly, knowing that you have a master who is in heaven. Over in Ephesians, he says, Masters, do the same to them and stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven. And there is no partiality in him. Boaz is an example of that kind of attitude that God calls us to. But the godly nature of Boaz, I think, is shown especially in his treatment of Ruth, Ruth the Moabitess. He comes to the field here and he greets his workers and he notices her there, doesn't recognize her. And so he asks the man in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? Who's this lady? And verse 6 says that the one who is in charge, in charge of the workers, tells him that this is the Moabite woman who came back with Naomi. That's probably enough in the little village of Bethlehem to identify her. So now, know, now Boaz knows that this is now a relative of Naomi, her daughter-in-law, and thus a relative of the deceased Elimelech and thus of him. And he responds with great kindness towards her. In verses 8 through 17, there are several conversations that go on and they demonstrate the the magnanimous kindness of Boaz towards Ruth. And these, these discussions break down into revealing two different things about Boaz in regard to Ruth. One is his protection, and one is his provision. First is protection. Being a gleaner can be a dangerous enterprise. There were those who despised the poor, uh, and there were those who would mistreat the poor, the ones out gathering in the field. Especially women were in potential danger. But Boaz comes and he speaks to Ruth. As soon as he finds out who she is, he speaks to her and he tells her this. He says, stay in my fields. Watch my reapers and only go into the fields that they reap and do your gleaning there. Because I've commanded them, he says, to leave you alone. So don't go into any other fields where who knows what may happen to you. He says, stay with my My folk, follow my workers and glean after them. And that's repeated in verse 16 where he tells his his workers, 
uh, pull out some of the, from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean and do not rebuke her. Don't hassle this girl, he tells his, his workers. So he's concerned for her protection and makes provision for it. Um, and then that leads us to a discussion of his provision. Because Boaz, having taken special notice of Ruth, shows special kindness to her and, and takes it upon himself not just to protect her, but to provide for her in a special way. And by providing for her, he's also providing for Naomi. And, and in a, he does it in a special way and in an escalating way. First, um, when he allows her to, to work in his field, to um, glean in his field, he tells her in verse 9, he says, let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? He says, and when you're thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. You don't have to worry about finding water for yourself. Go to what they have drawn and have a drink. Then when it comes to lunchtime, the midday meal, he comes to her and he provides for her hunger by having her eat, not with the other gleaners, um, who would have had to fend for themselves, but verse 14 says, come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, not the gleaners, the reapers. She's sitting with the employees. And she is provided for, and he provides bread for her, and something tasty to dip it in, not the, not the crumbs, not the old hard stale stuff that's, that's no good, but he gives her this, this wine, it's mentioned here, which was probably some kind of a, a dip. I always think of a restaurant, I can't think of the restaurant now, in Southern California, where they would give you bread in this wonderful little wine and vinegar thing to dip your bread in that was so good, and it makes me think of that's probably what this is like. Um, and he even serves her himself. He passed to her roasted grain. So far from being the, the hard, crusty things, he gives her roasted grain. He gives her the good food. So he's providing for her more and more and more. And remember the importance of, of even eating with someone in the ancient Near East. This was no small condescension on the part of Boaz. And he gave her extra the end of verse 14 says that, that she was satisfied. And she ate until she was satisfied and she had some left over. You know, she, she got a to-go box of this roasted grain to take away. And then he goes even further. When they're done with lunch and they're getting ready to go back for the afternoon's work, Boaz pulls his workers aside and what does he say to him? Look at verse 15. Boaz instructed his young men, saying, let her glean even among the sheaves. You know what that means? That means let her go to what you have picked and put together and set aside, the storehouse, the good stuff. Let her pick stuff out of there. And do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her and leave it for her to glean. So as you're gathering up these things, pull some out and drop it behind you so that she can come and pick it up. He just keeps providing and providing. So Boaz goes beyond the, the letter of the law here and tells them to let, to let Ruth do these extra things and to purposely do this. Um, and as I mentioned, when the day is done, she's gleaned a considerable amount of food. Why is he doing this? Why is Boaz doing what he's doing? What has Ruth done to, to deserve this outpouring of provision and protection from Boaz? Is she pretty? Yeah, maybe she's pretty. But the text points to other things that's causing him to be uh, so concerned about her. You know, Ruth doesn't know either. She's a little bit put off, and, and she asks him back in verse 10... She says, why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since, it says, I am a foreigner. I'm a former enemy 
because of my roots, because of my religion, because of my rebellion, because of my rejection. And as a foreigner, she is deserving, yes, of the privilege of gleaning, but no more. Certainly not of the kindness that Boaz has shown to her. But Boaz answered her, this is in verses 11 and 12. He says, all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. And how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. So he gives her two answers, really. First, he says, I've been kind to you because of the kindness that you have shown towards Naomi, your mother-in-law, since the death of, of your husband, her husband. He had heard, obviously, about this, how you forsook everything, your family, your religion, uh, and you clung to Naomi. You swore an oath to remain with Naomi. And then secondly, he shows what's behind that or at the root of all of that, all, of, all that he had done and that all, all that she has done. He does it by pronouncing a blessing. He says, the Lord repay your work and a full reward be given to you by the Lord. And if you'll notice there in verse 12, both those occurrences of the word Lord is God's covenant name. He's speaking to her as being the recipient of the mercy of God in his covenant. And then he says in verse 12, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. See, specifically it's your relationship with God that is causing this outpouring of good, good work and good provision and good protection for me. The kindness that I've shown you is merely the kindness of the Lord, he says, through me, because you have come to trust in God. See, what he's saying here is you may be gleaning in my field today, but you are reaping the benefits of your trust in God. Remember that, that even as Ruth demonstrated her decision to stay with Naomi and leave Moab, that the crux of her, of her refusal to leave, the crux of her connection to, to Naomi and to Israel was the statement that she made that your God will be my God. And the graciousness that Ruth is receiving is a demonstration now of the covenant blessings of God. And the imagery that he uses, you know, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. What a wonderful picture. You know, the picture of God as a great bird, a great winged eagle, and Ruth as a threatened little eaglet coming to find safety under the eagle's wings. You know, we have, I guess they're up there, uh, off the 44, the eagles, our Redding eagles. And if you watch, if you, I like to watch the, the webcam every once in a while after they have their babies and how they take care of those little babies. And then God is taking care of his people, uh, his child, in the same way. The picture of, of, of the whole here is of a great and gracious God who's concerned about his people, who's concerned about those who have come to him. That's the answer to, to Ruth, and that is also the answer to us today. We who trust in God through Jesus Christ, why have we found favor with God? Why do we experience the blessings of God? Well, because we have taken shelter under the wings of God. Although we also need to reverse that, don't we? Fundamentally, we have shelter under the wings of God because we have the favor of God. His actions precede our actions. Didn't we sing about that earlier when we said, I sought the Lord, but then I found out that he was the one seeking me. Nothing is earned. It's freely given. And that's the message of the gospel in the Old Testament and the New Testament. That God will have mercy on those who humble themselves and take refuge under the wings of God. Or as Paul says, whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. See, Ruth is you. Ruth is, is me. Cursed 
pagan, outsiders, Paul said strangers to the covenant of promise, who through a work of God have renounced everything, like Paul did. If we're truly his disciples, we have. And we have sought shelter under the wings of the mighty, loving God. You are those who realize that there is nothing in you worthy to receive anything from God. And yet God gives us everything. Everything that we need. We beg God for scrap. We beg him for a gleaning. And he's given us the kingdom. And all of the blessings that Christ earned. So we're Ruth. And Boaz is God's servant. And through his servant, he gives us far more than we could ask. Through his servant, we have received more than we could ask or think. The ultimate servant of God, the Lord Jesus Christ. And as Ruth, through Boaz, received protection and provision, beloved, so do we. Through Christ. And rejoice in that today. Rejoice that this, the truth of Ruth is for us today as well. Don't try to earn your way. Rest in the inestimable comfort of the shelter of the wings of God. And as we close, we return to Ruth. Because Ruth has been graciously provided for by God through Boaz. She's been graciously protected by God through Boaz. But she still has a problem. She's still a foreigner. She's still an alien. She's still, as the author keeps telling us, she's still a Moabitess. She's still husbandless. She's still childless. But God has a plan for that as well. And we'll see it next week. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this story. We thank you for the truths that it teaches. We thank you for the way that, even though we haven't seen it all yet, Lord, we thank you that it points us ultimately to Christ. And we pray, Father, that that you would continue to teach us through uh, this wonderful story. We pray, Father, that we would look to the one who is your servant who has come and who has given us ultimate protection, ultimate provision, as he has saved us from our sin. He has saved us from your wrath. And he, again, even though we seek gleanings, he has given to us the kingdom. We thank you for him. We thank you for our being received into your kingdom by your grace. We thank you in Jesus. Amen.